welcome to the Social Media Money Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have Graham Stephan here. Uh, for those that might not know Graham Stephan, you probably know him as a TikToker. You might know him as a boxer. Um, <laughs> TikToker and boxer, wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those two things are like the main things he's known for. <laughs> Graham, how about you give an intro of like who you are today? Yeah. Uh, geez, what do I say? Uh, my name is Graham Stephan. I make uh, YouTube videos. I'm really big into personal finance, uh, saving money, investing, real estate, anything that has to do with making money, uh, building your credit score, being financially responsible. I'm I'm all about that life. Right, right. Here we are in Graham's uh, like really nice house. Um, he has a super nice piano. It's like a 300 gallon aquarium. Yeah. Super nice place. Tank. Point is, Graham is yeah. super rich, but I want to know one thing. Yeah. I want to know how you got your start, starting from the kid who uh, would ditch school to work at an aquarium. Yeah. Oh, it's the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. I always, I, I hated school. All I wanted to do was was work. I think there's something about it where it's just, I, I enjoyed being productive and like the aspect of, of making money mm -hmm. just appealed to me. It wasn't so much about like spending it. I just really liked working. And so I found a hobby when I was uh, 11 or 12 years old, and that was like saltwater aquariums. Mm -hmm. I just got so into just saltwater fish. And uh, I think it was for my 11th or 12th birthday, I got like a saltwater aquarium and I was hooked. And so I would uh, spend all my time online. There was a, a forum called saltwaterfish.com and reefcentral.com. And I would go home from school and I just spent hours on the forums, like talking to other people about like their saltwater tanks and like how to make them better. I got so into it. And through that, I found a community of local reef aquarium enthusiasts who would meet up once a month. I think it was called LASMAC or something. Maz, it's called MASLAC. Marine Aquarium Society, I don't know, something or other, of Los Angeles. Oh, Marine Aquarium Society of Los Angeles County, MASLAC. And they would meet Mas. once a month at a Denny's. And the Denny's <laughs> is conference rooms, by the way. You know that? Where? Yeah. I, in, in the LA? back? Yeah. They have conference rooms. So you could rent out like a space in a Denny's <laughs> for like 20, 30 people. Interesting. But anyway, so I and got- private private yeah so i got really into like the whole reef aquarium community and i think uh, you know people really saw my enthusiasm and passion so one day at a frank swap met this guy and uh he ran a a, a website that sold fish and coral and it was at this warehouse by lax and they would wholesale stuff there too and so he said hey if you want to come by and just check it out i was 12 years old at the time uh, if you wanted to check it out, you could see what it's about. And I think you'd really enjoy it. And so I was like, mom, dad, can I go? And like, yeah, sure. So, uh, I went by and I fell in love with this place. I mean, it was like for a kid who's obsessed with saltwater aquariums, this place had everything. I mean, I'm talking like 20,000 square feet of fish and coral that get shipped in once a week. And that for me, was like, wow, this, this place exists. This is nuts. And, uh, I was really into, uh, like taking pictures of the stuff and, uh, I mean, he offered me a job because I went in there and it was just, I, I, it blew my mind that this was there. And he's like, well, if you want to help out. And he, I think he was trying to be nice to a kid who's like 12 years old. It's like, hey, yeah, sure. If you want to help out. And, you know, I would basically just work there for free. Mm -hmm. And at the end, like if, if I wanted to pick out a piece of coral or something like that or a fish for free, he'd be like, yeah, just take that. And I loved it. And starting to work there ruined everything else because it's all I wanted to do was just work there nothing mattered to me anymore. So I stopped, I really stopped, you know, caring in school mm -hmm. because I just wanted to work. I didn't see the point of grades because I just wanted to work. And I was learning a lot there. 
You got it for like C's and stuff or what? Uh, yeah, F's, D's, Seriously? uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Middle school. That was, uh, I think seventh grade. I don't know how old I was when I was 11, seventh or eighth grade, something like that. You know, uh, like held back or like, no, no, I did the bare minimum just so like I, I would get enough where I would not have to take summer school cause I wanted to work and I wouldn't get held back cause I wanted to finish so that I could work. So, uh, I, I just loved it though, but I stopped caring about everything. All I wanted to do is just do that. Side note, have you ever yeah. been suspended? No, never, I was never, I never, no, never bad kid. Uh, I never got in trouble in that sense. It's just one of the work. I mean, so like I'd never, I would never a troublemaker and right, I never, right. you know, okay. um, but yeah, but I, I just loved it. And through doing that, it taught me so many things. Like initially it was taking pictures of fish and coral and Photoshopping it. And I learned every aspect of that business from like, uh, uh, even learning how to talk to customers on the phone. Oh, nice. Sometimes the color won't be the same as when a customer purchased it. They would call and a 12-year-old would answer? Uh, yeah, I would, I would be the one. Well, I would be the one to call them. Oh, okay. And so let's say they ordered a, a bright blue coral. I'm simplifying things. They ordered bright blue coral. Now it's kind of like bluish brown. And so if they get it, it's not going to look like it did in the picture when it was first shipped. And we don't want to set that expectation that they're going to get something that doesn't look mm -hmm. the same as when they order it. I'd call them up, say, hey, uh, I was so nervous on the phone doing this uh because i felt bad for him like i felt like they were gonna blame me for this like it was my responsibility for this. but anyway i called them up and i'd say hey you you placed this order unfortunately we just looked at it. it it doesn't look as vibrant as it did in the in the photo so if you don't want it anymore we could take that off your order or if you want to go through with it we'll take 30 percent off of it or something like that are you happy with that and every single time they're like oh yeah it's fine yeah whatever um you would yeah. commission there there's no commission. Okay. Yeah, it would, nothing was commission. It was just, I loved working. And uh, at the end of the day, I'd usually be able to go and be like, I want this fish. Or I would save up days. Oh, and, you were getting paid in fish, right? Yeah, it's fish and coral. Yeah, I, nice. I've never gotten paid on commission. Uh, the only money that, when I started getting money, I think I was 16, 15 or 16, it was a dollar for every picture that I would take mm. and Photoshop and send to be put on their website. Right, right. And so on a like a Thursday or Friday night, I would just be there from, I don't know. Sometimes I'd, I'd miss my last, uh, uh, my last class for school on a Friday because I knew traffic was bad in LA, and I'd just get there early so I didn't have to spend time in traffic. But I'd get there and uh, I'd probably work until 12, 1, 2 a.m. I, I loved it. Making like a dollar an hour? I, it, no, no, it was a dollar uh, for every picture I took. Okay. So sometimes I could take. I, I got it down where I was probably making about twenty dollars an hour. Um, oh, nice. yeah, but I would work like, you know, eight hours, nine hours. Right. And a lot of it was just like, there were so many things that I could take pictures of to put on the website. And the more that's on the website, the better. So I took this as like, yeah, I'll do as much as I can. And I loved it. Yeah. And then I would sometimes go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning, but I'd get there the next morning at like eight. Seriously? Yeah. And this I, like 16, you were like, I was 16. Like yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there were times too, where I, I, I've never spent the night at the warehouse. I don't think they wanted me to because it was in a not so good area of like Torrance. Okay. And, uh, you know, you never know like if someone breaks in for some, we never kept cash or anything, but you never know. And uh, yeah, I think I wanted to sleep there sometimes because I just knew that I would wake up there and be there already. Damn. Yeah, I loved it. But that got me thinking about just, I wanted to work, make money. So, so you never had like a, traditional job did temporarily okay. so the downfall of that unfortunately was when i was 17 the company sold oh really yeah yeah he sold it it i i think 
I don't know how much it was. Million dollar business? Uh, I probably not that much. Okay. No, I mean it's fish and coral. I mean the margins are are pretty tight right, for the right. amount of work that's involved. And this is a mom and pop business. Oh, okay. So like the owners were working nonstop. Like if you thought I was working, like they were working ten times harder than I was. And I think they wanted to get out of the business, um, just a lifestyle change and work on different aspects. I think they got a better offer. But anyway, so the new owner, just I hated it. Right? it when he came in. It just didn't understand. The, I, like, I felt like I knew how to run the business, but I was like 17. And anything I said, he was like, no, we're doing it this way. Because you were young. Yeah. Um, just was a, I hated it. it was just, we clashed on a lot of things. He was rude to me. I disagreed with a lot of the choices that he made. Wasn't as customer service oriented as the, the last guy was. And I think he was, just didn't know how to run it in the way that it should have been run. And so I, oh, so what happened? Two people left that had been working there for a while alongside with me. And then I left. It just wasn't working out. I didn't have the interest in doing it anymore. So I found a job right as I was graduating high school. I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I thought I wanted to go into investment banking. And uh, yeah, but I didn't have the grades. I mean, my grades were C's, D's. Uh, I had some F's, but those F's didn't matter. I mean, it was. You need school. You don't just need the licensing for that. No, no. Usually to be to be an investment banker, you have to go the route of like you got to get experience. You got to go to usually a top school, have a connection, start at the bottom, like work your way up. And so I just started going on Craigslist and cold emailing investment firms and just saying like, hey, I saw those emails. Just like, hey, 17 years old. I'm just about to turn 18. I want to be in investing. Like, I'll do anything you need. I don't even want to get paid for anything. It's just like, I'll do anything for you. Just just to learn. I just want to mm-hmm. learn from you. I'll do any. No one got back to me. Uh, there's a few that that set up interviews at like Starbucks, but those turned out to be MLMs. There's like a <laughs> there's like a uh, a phone thing. I forget what it was called, but it was a, it was like FaceTime, but like you'd pick up a phone and the other person would have the same phone with a camera on it and you'd be able to what? see the other person. It, was, it turned out to be an MLM. Yeah. Um, but you ever joined a pyramid scheme? Uh, no. You, were, you, were you close? No. Oh gosh, no. With that, no. I thought it was stupid. No. Oh dude, no, I no, feel no. Like we've all been close. No. <laughs> but anyway, um, no. So I I sent an email off to a place called. Well, I guess it doesn't matter now. It's called Goldline International. And when I was a kid, I had saved up like a whole bunch of birthdays and Christmas monies to be able to buy a coin from them. And uh, so I emailed them saying like, hey, when I was like 10 years old, I bought this coin from you guys. I'd love to come work there. And if there's anything I could do. And they got back to me and they said, yeah, actually, if you want to come meet with us. Not a pyramid scheme. Not a pyramid scheme. No. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, if you want to work with us. And uh, I was like, wow, this is crazy. So I met with them and uh, I met the the manager of of some like the back office or something. And he offered me a job. And I think at the time it was probably $7 an hour. I just Google whatever minimum wage was in California uh, in 2007. Gosh, it must have 2007 early or it must have been early 2008, like yeah. January 2008. Full time hours? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it was that was nice. a Monday through Friday, I think eight to five. Monday through Friday with a one hour lunch break. I think at like 7.50 an hour, whatever that was. And I, I went into it thinking like, I'm going to change the world. Like right. I, because I was like just about to turn 18 or I was like, yeah, I, I must've been just about to turn 18, but my high school was weird because they had like from January to April, there were like no classes. So I was like, I had the time and, uh, I went in and just, what did I do? I got in, tr- I got in trouble there. So the first day I started, I went to the CEO of the company and like, I knocked on his door 
And he was there. He wasn't busy or anything. It was just at his desk, like looking at papers. And I knocked on the door and said, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Graham. I just started working here. Really excited. Uh, if there's anything I could do for you, just let me know. And he looked at me, Thanks. I appreciate it. It's nice. But then, anyway, but later that day, I got a call from the oh manager to come in and said that if I want to speak with him, I have to go up the uh, the ranks. Like there's, there's a, a chain of command. Well, you knocked on his door. It was closed. It was open. It was oh, like, you know, on, open like yeah. this. And I just, you know, like this and just yeah, interested. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Couldn't do that. Wow. So he said, if I wanted to speak with him, I have to talk to Roxanne, who's who's like the uh, assistant manager of the back office, who's going to run it by him, who's going to run it by someone else to talk to that guy. And I was like, that's so stupid. It's like, I just want to say hi and thank him. Right, right. Uh, it, that, that's it. It's not a chain of commands. But I was like, all right, whatever. And then I made a suggestion like that week that they were using styrofoam cups. And I said, hey, uh, yeah, it's styrofoam is bad for the environment. And it's <laughs> and I think we could do just as well if we do um, paper cups. And I was told very politely that that is not my place and to focus on the work and not the cups. And I was like, that's stupid. But this is like bad for the environment. Anyway. <laughs> um, and then the, the work I was doing was data entry. Okay. So all I was doing was taking these forms and they're like names, uh, you know, invoice numbers. I was taking that forms and just typing it into a computer. It's like Excel. I don't know what it was. It was their own back office program. Um, so anyway, I was doing that. And then every 30 minutes I was doing the mail. So I'd have to go to the front office, take the mail to the back office and divvy it up in between doing the data entry. And then from 4 to 5 p.m., I was helping another guy do, like, mailers. So we'd stuff envelopes, mm. put the stuff on, and we had a big thing to do. And so th I think the manager at the time was trying to train me to do as many different parts of the business as possible to learn it. Uh, he really gave me a good shot. I mean, he was really trying to help out a kid who was just, like, really ambitious. And he's like, I'm going to put my you know neck on the line, and he's going to do this. But I hated the work. And then after about a week or so, I was so bored because it was just quiet and you just hear like computers right, right. clicking and just a phone ringing every now and then just doing data entry. And so I had uh, a headphone in or like both my headphones were in or something like that or just one headphone just so I could listen to something. And I was uh, told I couldn't have any headphones. Yeah, I hate that type of uh, Yeah, and that was just their office policy and I'm like, but it doesn't affect what I'm doing. It's just at one headphone in. Well, if you do it, then everyone else is going to want to do it. And then we can't do that. So I'm like, all right. Uh, and then a week after that, I wore the wrong shoes. So Damn. you're supposed to be wearing dress shoes to this place. And I wore black running shoes or something like they're the same color. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget if I just forgot my shoes. Or I just wasn't thinking that day. Uh, they sent me home because I was wearing Damn. the wrong shoes. And I'm like, I'm no customer is going to see me. It's just the back office and no one is, is it makes no difference to my performance. These right. shoes I'm wearing right office policy. If you do it, everyone else is going to want to do. It. We have to set, set the bar. It's so stupid. It was very corporate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I ended up staying there for, I forget how long, a few months was it? I don't know. Something, something like that. It wasn't long and I quit. I was so happy, but I was depressed. You didn't there. get fired that that day. You got sent home. No, no, I've never. No, no, I didn't get fired. No, that was like we just got to send you home because of your shoes. It wasn't like a disciplinary thing. Okay. We can't have right. you in the office with your shoes like that. Okay. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a fireable action. But there, then there were a whole bunch of other little things like that that I just disagreed with. That I oh, you know what? I I really talked to the manager. I was like, I want to get in sales. Like, I would be a really good salesperson. Put me in sales. Um, oh, nice. 
And uh, no, no, they didn't do that. They're like, like oh. no, I don't, I don't have the qualifications. To be in sales, you have to get a college degree. Like, those are all college graduates who, who get that. And nice. uh, damn. Yeah. It's like, fuck. So anyway, I, I ended up leaving that. But as I was leaving that, I ended up getting my real estate license mm-hmm. because I felt, well, I don't need a college degree to do that. As I was getting my real estate license, I wanted to learn the business. And the only way to do that was just I'd go to open houses and I'd talk to other agents and just say, hey, um, what's your advice? I'm you know, about to turn 18 years old, about to get my license. Do you have any advice for me? And almost everyone was like, you know, the market's not the same as it was in 2006 and the market's mm. going down. And we think it would be better if you go to college. It's probably a good idea to get your degree. No one was encouraging of that. Some people were saying, oh, yeah, you could make it as a real estate agent, uh, but you got to have connections and this and that. But I just kept chucking along. Um, And after, I don't know, a month or two, three, four months of doing that, I met one agent who was really encouraging. And um, he was like, you know, I got in the business when I was 18, 19 years old. I don't have a college degree. This was Jason? No, no, this okay. is another guy before Jason. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked. It was a slow open house, and we talked probably two hours, maybe three hours, like almost the entire open house. And uh, um, he offered me a position where if I would just work with him, we'd split whatever I brought in. Right. And I think this guy, he, he's busy enough where he could just pawn off some of the, the busy work on me. And if some of those pan out, like, we split it. So didn't cost him anything. And for me, it was like this incredible opportunity. So I came and worked for him and uh, I wasn't getting paid any. I mean, I, this was performance based. So like if I didn't close a deal, I'd like, I wasn't getting paid. And the first week I just followed him around. Anything he wanted me to do, I'd do it. Mm-hmm. If he, it so he would just take me to a house uh, and say, you know, turn on all the lights, turn on all the lights. Uh, for an open house, you say, hey, uh, pick up these seven signs and put them around these street corners in these locations and go and do that and then pick them up at this time. Do anything he needed. Um, and then after a week or so, he gave me access to, um, it was like an open house uh, sign-in sheet and just people who signed in. And it's like, I want you to go down this list and email and call everybody and see what they thought of the house, what they're looking for. So I did that. I did everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found a cool niche just uh, posting lease listings. I think he had a he had a lease or something like that. And I uh, suggested I just post on Craigslist. I did. And I was because I was into photography and it did all the, the aquarium stuff. Right. I took pictures of the houses, like the leases uh, that no one was was paying any attention to. I put them on Craigslist. And the thing with a lease is that there's no money in it. Um, for the amount of work that you put in and the stress you have to deal with and the, the showings, you might get like five, six hundred dollars. Depends on the lease, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like if we're talking net to me after like Coldwell Banker split, all the work, I, I'm, I may be making five hundred bucks. And for the established agents, they don't touch them. Like mm-hmm. they don't want to do it. It's not worth their time. They'll lose money on that. And especially photography was like $300, $400 to take professional pictures of a house. So there's no money in leases, but I would take my own pictures, Photoshop them myself, post them on Craigslist. And they were the best uh, lease listing pictures that you would find, uh, especially, and no one was really posting leases on Craigslist. Very few. So I got really into that. And I just, just like I am with YouTube, like checking the algorithm and, and performance, I, uh, this is when Craigslist allowed HTML, but I, I got an HTML tracker that I paid for. So I could see at all times, which lease listings, uh, did the best, Mm -hmm. which got the most clicks, which titles got the most clicks. And so I just got hyper-focused on like, okay, um, these leases don't do well. These leases don't do well. But if I find in the middle and I get leases priced, and this is NLI, leases priced $4,000 to $12,000 a month, 
in these locations with X amount of bedrooms, this bathroom with a pool, uh, and I do this for a title, uh, I get the widest range possible. And then at the very top, I say, uh, I found that I got the best response when I put an email and a phone number. Just putting a phone number, a lot of times they won't even call, but just knowing that there's a person they could call makes it more legitimate. So I put my phone number there, put my email, and I said, if this is not what you're looking for, call or email me with what you're looking for and I'll find it for you. Nice. I got so many emails from people saying, I saw your lease listing, not what I want, I'm looking for this. And then I search the MLS and I'll send them exactly what they want. Nice. But I got really good at that. And then other agents in the office saw that I was the one that was doing all the leases. So they would either come to me or I would solicit them. And I'd say, hey, you have a lease listing that's posted right now in the MLS. You've been on there for 30 days. You don't have good pictures. I'll give you the free, photo I'll do all the photography for free. And I'll give you the pictures for free. If you lease it on your own, you'll pay me nothing and it'll help you lease it. But if I lease it, then just let me get the tenant side of the commission. And everyone said yes. Because there's it doesn't matter for them. It's either mm -hmm. I bring them someone or they get better pictures. I did that. And I leased most of them. And there is one point on, on Craigslist where if you went for the for lease section in Los Angeles, it was all mine. And there was like 15 that I'd post, 15 or 20 sometimes that I'd post. Uh, and they allowed you to repost it um, every other day. Oh, so, damn. yeah. Craigslist, at the top. I, always at the top. And you had to post. like So you have a, the option of basically where uh, Craigslist allows you to extend the list. So after 48 hours, you could do repost and it posted to the top. But it's better just to make a new post because then you have two postings versus one that gets bumped to the top. Now you have two. So if they keep scrolling, keep seeing your name. Damn. And so I just got really good at that. But that's how I built my entire business was from lease listings. And a lot of those clients would eventually come to me to buy something. And then after a few years, they would sell that house to buy something else. Uh, and I just expanded on that. Is that how you so, bought your Lotus? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah, well, the Lotus was bought after uh, the first year. I did an open house and I met a buyer through that that ended up buying something for three and a half million. And so I used that commission to buy the Lotus. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's dope. So, but that was my start for real estate. So then how did that lead to uh, Jason and the Oppenheim Group? 2010, Jason joined Coldwell Banker. My office was here and Jason's was right across from me. And Jason would ask me all the time for questions about leasing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was focused on bigger properties and sales. He was working for another agent at the time called, uh, her name was Joyce Ray. She was like one of the top agents in Southern California by far. And he was working for her. But, you know, lease listings are little minute contract details that he wasn't sure about. He would ask me because uh, I was always available. I was always in the office. and. Um, he knew he could ask me anything. And so anything he needed to do, I mean, I'd just love to help him. But nice. it was through that that we just kept in touch. 2013, I think, he left to create the Oppenheim Group. And he ran that initially from his house. He bought a property, fixed it up in West Hollywood, and then turned the living room into his office. Nice. And he had a lease listing. It was actually how, how I got the job working for the Oppenheim Group. He had a lease listing on Hollywood Boulevard. And I brought the tenant who is Casper, you know, Casper mattresses. Sounds familiar. Yeah. They, they're like this mattress that's shipped in a box. Okay. So I, and it's like, yeah, it's like a foam mattress. It just expands. So yeah, I brought yeah, them yeah. and they leased the house that he was representing. And then he said to pick up the commission, come, come by my office. And his house was a, like, his, I'll say, it. and his house was like uh, really close to the office. And, um, Picked up the commission. He says, hey, like I'm building out this. Do you want to see it? And I was like, wow, this is so cool. 
And that's when he made me an offer that was better than what I was getting at Coldwell Banker. And, Mission-wise, right? Like uh, that's how you splits, get- yeah. Okay, nice. The splits. And I felt the opportunity working with him, I, I, I felt like personally I'd capped out at what I could do at Coldwell Banker, and I wasn't growing. And a lot of it was just, I was frustrated, I was on autopilot, um, I wasn't learning anything new, and I felt like I just like reached what I was able to do there. Was it super corporate at Coldwell Banker as it was as the, uh, the investment banking place? A similar. Uh, Coldwell Banker, I was the youngest one by far. I mean, everyone was like, 40s was young at Coldwell Banker. You could have like headphones in. And oh, stuff. gosh. Yeah. They don't care what you do. You can come and go as you please. You can wear whatever you want. No but, styrofoam cups. No. No, they have the paper cups. <laughs> but no, no, Coldwell Banker was great in that regard, but it was a, an older office. They were more traditional. And Jason was, I felt, really had a pulse on a younger buyer. Like my buyers or my client, my clientele at Coldwell Banker was very much like 40 to 50s years old family uh you know traditional job like usually well off but like more of the traditional path uh jason had built this clientele in like hollywood beverly hills bel-air that was like young money like the people who were like 20s and 30s um who'd show up to listings in like a ferrari with a t-shirt and shorts like have you ever sold a house to a creator no no okay no that'd be cool um, I've leased, I've leased houses to creators, but not, uh, not sold. Um, yeah, not, not in the like YouTube sense or anything like okay. that. But, um, but yeah, but he was just tapped into a younger audience. And so like, I felt this, this is someone I could relate to because I can't relate to, you know, when I'm 23 years old or something, I can't relate to a, a guy in his fifties, uh, with a wife and kids who are like yeah. close to my age. And I think a lot of what makes you good as either a salesperson or someone like representing or working with someone else is relatability. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them could see like, okay, he's a young kid, he's ambitious, but like you could never break beyond that. And a lot of times, at least I felt like they're just kind of doing you a favor. Like even though you're, you're good at what you do, it's like, well, they could work with anybody. Why me? Well, probably because I'm young and they just want to give, give a young kid a chance. Really? But Versus wanting of the experienced person? Yeah. I think, well, I really worked hard. And I think with some of the experienced people, they're very busy. Whereas for me, it's like, I'll dedicate. Like, you want me to show a house at Friday at 10 p.m.? Like, I'll do it. Anything. I, I, try doing that with somebody who's been in the career for 20 years. It's not right. going to happen. So there were the advantages for them too. But with Jason, it was like, I, I could relate to these people because they were like more, I felt, I could understand what they want and what they're going through and like the, the emotions of buying a house. It felt more like on their level. And not only that, but Jason was an, a fantastic person to work uh, and learn from because he was so different. He is very much, very strong opinioned. He's not afraid of, of losing a listing, turning down business. That was one of the things that I was not used to. Coldwell Banker is like, you'll take a listing. If they, if they offer it, you take it. Jason is like, if he can't sell it, he's not going to take it because mm-hmm. that's going to waste his time. And I've never learned how to value your time like that where if seller's unrealistic wish you the best of luck i'll refer you to these other agents but i can't work with you nice or uh, we can't price the home like this we need to price it at this if you're not interested you know you could try with another agent but uh you know if you want to come back later at this we'll we'll do that never seen that before so you enjoyed making money right but youtube is the type of thing that you don't make money at first, right? How long until you made your first like $100 from like YouTube? Probably a month. <laughs> a month? 
Yeah, it probably took me 30 days to make the first 100 bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I think the the year I started YouTube, uh, well, I started late 2016. I'm, I'm going to call it January 2017 because that's when I really started posting like three times a week. Um, that year, I think I did, I probably sold 15 to $20 million worth of real estate. So that would be a commission of, I don't know, around it, 500 grand, 400 grand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. total. Nice. Um, at that point, I think for me, I just, I don't want to say that it felt like, uh, I was like plateauing, but there's just, there was something that was clicking for me. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I wanted to do this forever. And I thought before YouTube, it was just, well, I'm going to save up all my money and I'm going to get into owning rental properties and fixing them up. And I what it was doing that. Right. And living in the property and fixing it up and doing that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, if I, you know, if I could keep doing this for another 10 years, that'd be good enough. YouTube, I just loved it. I just, I had so much fun. And I knew it was a problem when, uh, right off the bat, I had more fun doing YouTube videos than like sticking with real estate Yeah. when I was making no money. But, but did you project like, okay, if I do YouTube, like how long did you think it would take for you to make money? Never thought of money. Really? No. Uh Uh-uh. No. So, so you basically didn't, you never knew that you would make millions of dollars on no, AdSense. No, my goal in the first year was like, I thought I would be a huge success if I had a thousand subscribers in the first year. And that was my goal. I was like, and, and yeah. it wasn't like, okay, these thousand subscribers could turn into leads for real estate. No. Okay. No, not at all. Um, I had enough business as a real estate agent to the point where I, I started, that's for me, I was becoming selective in terms of who I was working with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it was not about getting more leads or, or doing more. I mean, if the only thing that I'd want to do is probably take on more expensive listings at that time. But yeah, there's, there's, I just loved making videos. There's something about it that I just fell in love with. And I had so much fun with and the creative aspect. Uh, Cause I looked up to people like uh, Rob Dom was one of the ones when I saw his video and how much, how much he made to afford a Lamborghini Diablo or like what he does for a living. That video, like, I think that was 2011, 2012, sparked my interest in YouTube. When I saw that video, it's inspired me. And he yeah. made his money through YouTube? Or? No, no. He, okay. he did something with computers. I think he ran a computer repair business or something. Um, or, or something of data storage or there's something like that. Um, but he said he worked on that business and, afford, you know, bought a Lamborghini Diablo and he made YouTube videos for fun. And I just loved the aspect of making YouTube videos. And I loved YouTube. Mm-hmm. And for me, I felt like, yeah, I always wanted to do YouTube. I never thought I could, but there's just a point where I just thought I want to make a YouTube video. And I, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And I just, it's a gut feeling that I had. It's like, I just do this. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I had so much fun. And I was, you know, in the beginning I, I had no uh, ads turned on because I was watching people like Ty Lopez, Grant Cardone. Uh, who else was there? Alex Becker was on there. Uh, Dave Ramsey, like some of the big guys. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to turn off ads. I want to be the the guy who's, you know, talking about business with no ads on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did that for a month and I'm like, you know what? I, I heard from somewhere that you turn ads on and uh, it helps with your rankings because YouTube now has an incentive to push your videos if they're making money from it. And I did. I noticed my views go up and then I took such a strategic approach with like titles, thumbnails. I learned everything. I was on like Reddit communities. Uh I would network with other 
creators who were like the similar subscriber range, like Matt McKeever was someone in the very beginning. We had like, he had 200 subscribers. I had 200 and we'd send these emails, like paragraphs back and forth about what we've noticed with the YouTube algorithm and like which videos are doing well for him and like what our goals are. And we'd go back and forth, back and forth. And I would just get obsessive over like checking every view. I'd respond to every comment, everyone that subscribes. I, I checked everything all day. And I just loved that more than doing anything else. And, and you were able to like focus on YouTube because in your real estate, like during the real estate time, you had enough leads just coming in, businesses coming in. You didn't yeah. have to like go out and find them anymore. No, no. A lot of it was re- almost all my business at that point was referral. Nice. Um, so, you know, I, f- I forget who told me this, but but someone mentioned that like after five years of doing business as a real estate agent, you could usually start to build up your referral business without having to prospect. And mm. yes, you'll, you'll always make more money if you prospect more. Uh, but I got to a point where I was like happy with what was coming in. I didn't want to, pro- I hated prospecting and I'd much rather referral. Right. But uh, so, so yeah. a lot of creators think that like if they want to be a creator, you have to like burn all bridges and just like go gung ho. Terrible like, idea. So, but like people don't realize you were making like half a million dollars mm-hmm. a year from real estate. Yeah. Um, when you decided, like, okay, what was your real estate income and your YouTube income when you said, okay, it's time for YouTube full? <laughs> it's like I was making a million and a half from YouTube. And then how much from real estate? Uh, so so it was like this: YouTube was nothing. Real estate, one of the best years was like five hundred grand. Um. And YouTube, so real estate started going down a little bit because I was spending more time on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And re- YouTube took over, I would say, after year three, YouTube was making more. And I think, you know, it went down to like 300 grand, maybe 350. I don't know. It was something like that. And, um, but and YouTube kept increasing like exponentially. Mm-hmm. But I never wanted to get rid of real estate because I was so afraid that uh, YouTube could disappear at any moment. Right. And so really the, the, the time I actually went full time in YouTube was, was COVID, uh, right. March of 2020 and up until March of 2020, I was oh. still going in the real estate office and, and how much, yeah, I was probably making about one and a half billion dollars a year from, from YouTube, real, oh, from YouTube. Okay. Okay, okay. And I didn't want to give up real estate. Like I, YouTube was still my, I, I would say it's a priority, but it was still a side hustle in the sense wow. that like I was not doing that full time and I was still going to the office four to five days a week for real estate. I was still showing around clients. And, um, you know, yes, I, I scaled back on some clients that just, I, I couldn't feasibly make it work when I knew that I had to do a YouTube video. And so I would give those clients off to other people in my office. I'd still be involved, but I'm like, hey, do you want to do these showings? If you need me, just let me know. But if you could set these up, you do these showings. I could be involved in contracts or whatever, but like you do this. And so I'd split the commissions. So it slowly went down, like YouTube started going up, real estate, you just slowly started focusing more on YouTube or was yeah. it like pandemic hit and you called up Jason, you're like, hey, I'm out of here. No, no, it was, it was it was a slow transition, Okay. Um, but I never wanted to get, give up real estate and um, I just loved YouTube more. I mean, it's like when you, when you find something that you're that obsessed about, that you feel good at, that you feel like you're making a difference and it's making money, it's really hard to justify doing anything else. Right. Um. But I kept real estate going because I just knew that YouTube could disappear at any moment. And I did yeah. not want to be in a position where I'm like all in on YouTube. And then like a year later, hey, uh, I'm back. Didn't work. So that yeah. thought of you think YouTube could disappear at any moment. You still have that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you have that thought? Because like I, I look at YouTube yeah. and I look at like all of our all of the demographics now 
like our ages, right? We watch YouTube, TikTok, all this stuff. And then when we turn, you know, 30, 40, 50, we're not going to all of a sudden switch to watching like Fox News instead of like YouTube. Like, I think that it's so like bullish, right? And I'm sure you are too, but you have that thought of, you think this could disappear tomorrow. Like, why do you have that? I see more people think it's going to last forever and it doesn't. And from what I've seen, I've, I've been watching YouTube since like 2008. Like from the, almost from the very beginning, like I remember being in high school when Smosh was like was the, the, Smosh. Yeah, the yeah. biggest channel. Every creator that I have seen has a lifespan of five to seven years. Very few break past that. I would say maybe there's a small handful of creators who could last more than seven years. Now, if we're talking a prime, like continually exceeding the year prior, there's a lot of creators out there too, been around for eight, nine, ten years, but their prime was five years ago and sure. they're still making videos. Uh, I would say Mr. Beast is one of the few people out there who is continually just like one upped himself over and over and over and over again. And I want to be, I feel better being, I don't want to say realistic, but uh, knowing the limitations and understanding that working around that, that it's, it's mentally taxing. I know that I can't keep up a schedule of three videos every single week forever. I will go crazy as much as I love it. I couldn't do it. So I know there's a cap uh, in terms of like just, the lifespan of it. And so I'm fortunate that in G- December, January, I'll hit six years, nice. uh, which Congrats. I'm, I'm yeah, but I'm at that point where I'm like five to seven years. Yeah. That, that just seems to be the, the goat, the average for mm-hmm. like the most successful creators, five right. to seven years. Yeah. So in your recent Patrick bet David episode, yeah. Um, it seems like you kind of got like vulnerable with him. You were like, Hey, like, what do you see next for the Graham Stephan brand? Mm-hmm. And he kind of gave an answer. It's like, just keep going. Like you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, did you guys discuss anything off off no. camera of like what? No, we be? didn't. Uh, the only thing discussed off camera was he says it helps to see different perspectives and viewpoints and uh, that I'll figure it out. And I'm I'm confident I will figure it out. But I know this. I just have a feeling that there's like just like I had a feeling from uh, going from real estate to YouTube that like I, my just intuition's pulling me that way. My intuition's pulling me in a way that I don't know where it's leading, mm-hmm. but it's something different but i don't i still try to figure out what that is mm-hmm. um you know i have a few ideas but um we'll see what pans out Le- like what i'd rather not share okay yeah because i know if I, if I say something a hundred other people are gonna copy it okay yeah. well yeah because i mean you are like number one in the finance community yeah. um because i think your video of like you showing like breaking down your adsense like that probably the amount of like creators that video sparked alone of like, holy crap, like you could actually make money from this. Like, I think even Spencer might have even referenced that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, like that video is insane. I think um, you're probably like CPM based, like number one in, in, in the space, right? I don't know. Pro- probably, probably, I'm guessing. I don't know, though. I, yeah. I couldn't tell you. So yeah. um, how much money are you going to make in this year? uh from youtube oh oh, from youtube probably two and a half three million i'm guessing across all the channels and then like probably two and a half sponsors and all that uh three to five i'm guessing okay yeah is that rough numbers yeah is that uh the same as last year uh i'm hoping it'll be more than last year okay yeah slightly more yeah nice um one of the things you you did mention was you think the podcast it can be a really long-term thing do you think the podcast can financially uh, be more profitable than the main channel one day? I would love for that to be the case. Um, it's difficult because uh, a podcast is is 
the expenses on the podcast are higher, mm -hmm. especially if we want to take it to the level where it does make more than the main channel. There's going to be a lot of travel involved and we need a much bigger crew than we have right now. It would be impossible for us to do what we do on a large scale, like uh, let's say like Impulsive or Nelk, without probably three to five people yeah. behind the scenes coordinating everything. Yeah. Um, it's just it, the expenses are going to be way higher, which I'm yeah. open to. But yeah. I I love the magic of just a small team. Like yeah. I'm still on the main channel, I do I do everything except Alex edits the. Uh, I want to say Alex edits probably eighty five percent of the videos. Yeah, uh, my roommate actually produces Impulsive. Yeah, so their team is uh, him. It's like an Alex, right? Um, producer, right? The guy arranging like people's on the guest. Mm -hmm. I think like a manager, and then yeah. just the talent. So it's like three. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So Andrew Tate. Just got deplatformed. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Man, uh, I see both sides of it. I mean, on the one hand, it's like he's getting accounts to basically spam his his uh, videos for views. Right. I don't think it's a bad marketing strategy. I mean, it's, it's working. But at the same time, does it promote a message that's in line with what the platforms want to convey and that advertisers will align with? Because you, you can't forget, it's like these platforms are there to keep you watching, mm -hmm. um, grow, and then also they have they have to make money somehow, so they have to appease advertisers. So if if you do something to upset an advertiser, that's going to affect your business. Mm -hmm. So I you know I do think that there should be a place for discussion, but I don't know if if just reposting a whole bunch of content incessantly is the way to do that. So yeah. you know I'm pretty open. Like there's, there's nothing that offends me. Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm pretty indifferent to it, but I think, you know, for a lot of the platforms, they, they got to look out for, you know, how they grow as a business. Sure. We can wrap with this question. Oh. So, like, if you were a creator today, um, would your current output, do you think you would get back to your subscriber count, like, with your current formula? Or, like, what advice would you have for a creator starting today? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would. Um, shorts. Shorts? Mm -hmm. But what about, like... Uh, I guess like uh, Reed from like Mr. Beast teams thinks that like you can't really like build a community with shorts or like short form content as much as you can with long I think form. you will eventually. I think YouTube will figure that out. YouTube is too smart to separate the two and be like, oh, this shorts algorithm is different from long form. There's a way. They're, they're, I guarantee they're working in a way where they can identify someone who watches a short, who subscribes, who likes those videos to find similar content that's in line with that for long form. There's gotta be a way. Uh, I'm sure they're working on that, yeah. but I think now is a time where creators could take advantage of shorts and what you're doing is fantastic. So I think in that line, I think that's the best way to grow and just not copying because because that the, the one thing that bugs me is just like people will will see something that's working and be like, oh, great, I'm just going to copy that now. Do my own version. Yeah, but it doesn't work because you, you can't do something as well as somebody who's been doing it for five years, six years. Um with with similar a similar style without the audience already backing it like that's what helps mm -hmm. is having that pre-existing audience but like i really try to be different and from the yeah. very beginning it's like if grant cardone's you know has a huge team of 100 people flying around in private jets i'm going to be the guy who's in the duplex spending no money and that at the time was just no one on youtube was doing that sure, just like sure. hey here's a, it no, i don't want to say financial event here's per, first-hand experience from from someone who's 26 years old Here's how I did it uh, with nothing fancy. And I'm a, right. I just, I hate, I hate spending money. Yeah. So it's like, so, so there's always going to be something. If you were a creator today, you would strictly focus on short form content. I wouldn't say exclusively, but I think there's, 
there's the most potential in short form content. Um, like the one, the one kid who offers people the mystery box. I mean, it, it just depends on how smart you are to expand from that. Like, I love his video. I forget what his name is, but he goes up to people. He's like, so do you want to trade this for the mystery box? Don't underestimate the power of the mystery box. It's like, that's f- so cool. And then they say, no, he's like, well, do you want to see what's inside? He pulls it like five grand in cash. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think, I think yeah. I know who you're talking about, but yeah. that's funny. It's like, uh, referencing Reed again. We both know who we're talking about. Well, we can't name him by name. That's true. It's like short form, but this is true. Yeah, but it's up to him to take that audience and expand because he can't. If he's a one trick pony, give it six months to a year, and people will be so tired of it. Mm-hmm. But if he finds a way to to grow, I mean, because it's like it's like playing chess. Like even though you might have the best move now, gosh, so much the algorithm changes a little bit, and now you're now you're screwed. So YouTube, do you think YouTube would would they rather have? short form content being made or long form content like what benefits them financially uh creators making more short form or it's more long form? time it's just it's whoever's going to spend more time on the platform is going to benefit them ultimately so maybe short because well maybe i don't know yeah. i don't know the, the thing is it's like the the tick tiktok algorithm is so potent that it keeps you addicted to your phone and glued to it and if you don't adapt to that you're going to lose. So YouTube is forced to go in, in, in that direction. Right. The issue is that I feel like TikTok has the leg up in terms of their algorithm. Yeah. Um, but they're not paying their creators very well. So YouTube, I think, has the opportunity to perfect that algorithm, pay their creators better, and then see if there's a way to merge the two with long-form content. Yeah. Uh, YouTube also has, I think, a lot of potential to overtake Spotify, and they could do it with Twitch. Uh, if, if they really go heavy on streaming too, and you don't want to do too many things all at once. Uh, you know, I, I forget what they say. The Jack of all trades is a master of none. So you don't want YouTube like doing everything, but I think they have a potential to overtake Spotify with podcasts. They have the potential. I I don't know if they could do as well as TikTok. I'll be honest with you because TikTok is so, but like probably too potent for their algorithms. I don't know about that. Uh, but YouTube has a leg up that they could pay their creators better and get more people from TikTok, yeah. uh, at least undercut them a little bit. And for long form, there's nothing better than YouTube. So this specific video, me and you, is very important for like my channel because we grew from zero to 50K on YouTube in like two months. Um, and we grew from zero to 54K on TikTok um, in like four months. Mm-hmm. Um, so zero to 50K in two months on YouTube. And this is our first long form video. Um, in a long, long time, right? Like all of our videos, right? It's all about the creator economy. Um, it's all like clips about like, you know, how much money you got, you make on YouTube, like how much money Colin Samir make. Uh, Mr. B's talking about how he went from 300 subscribers to he's at 100, 100,000, 100, 100 million, million subscribers. Yeah. Um, Keeps getting bigger. Yeah, so yeah. this is gonna be like, kind of like a important thing because it's gonna be like, all of our subscribers have came from short form, right? So this video is gonna be the first long form thing. Um, how do you think it's going to translate? It's going to bomb. It's probably going to do really poorly, just so you know. I would expect it off the gate to do really poorly. I don't think the short-form audience is linked to long-form, so I don't know how it's going to show up in their recommended. As far as I'm aware, it's treated as though they're, they've never seen a long-form video from you before, yeah. and so it might not recommend. I would just expect uh, the video is going to perform really terribly, and then maybe after a month, within a month yeah. usually, it'll... YouTube just wants to match a video with who's going to watch it. And so as long as they're able to find that connection and get people to click on it, it's going to do well. So if you get title thumbnail down, the content of the video, I guarantee there's at least 
10 to 50,000 people out there that are would be interested in this sort of video. So as long as you could convince those people to click on it, YouTube's just going to share it and recommend it. It's good for them. So they they want you to succeed. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah. So, you got a good title thumbnail. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe 10k views would probably get 10k views. Within what a month? Yeah. I think if, no, I think if you have a good title thumbnail, I'll say no, I'll be optimistic. Twenty, thirty thousand views. Yeah, how good about, title thumbnail. Yeah. You have to have a good title thumbnail. How about this? Can I get some advice on what I'm building? So, social media money, right? We have like two sides of the company. It's the TikTok marketing side, which you know of. Uh, Spencer knows about it. Yeah. Um, we have a bunch of, uh, you know, clients in the space, in the finance space, where we run other TikToks and all their short form. And then we also have uh, the media side, right? Which is like social media money's, uh, you know, YouTube, TikTok, and all that stuff. And it's, we're kind of trying to build like the next Colin and Samir channel. Um, there's definitely room for like a, like a second Colin and Samir, right? Maybe. Uh, what's the purpose of the channel? Honestly, to inspire people to become creators themselves. It's not to get more people into the business. Like if I were you, I'd be using everything as marketing for your business. Like where I personally yeah. feel your strength. It's, the thing is anybody could interview somebody else. Um, there's not a lot that's out there that, uh, that let's say someone like Colin Samir wouldn't already tap into. But if you did this as an advertisement for your business, because I think where your strength is, is the short form content. And it's only getting more popular. It's right. Most people still aren't using it. And they have no idea. Like, I'm I'm even late to it. Like, I, I've not posted shorts on the yeah. main channel in months. Yeah, so it, it does yeah. work for that, too. So Mark Tilbury actually cold DM'd Social Media Money's Instagram. Yeah. And it was like, hey, like, I see your guys's work so it works for like lead gen as well yeah um but like i think it's we're doing both you know we might as well yeah i'd say i i would spend more time building up that business getting more clients yeah. and perfecting that yeah keep doing this but this should be lead gen it should be less yeah. about like inspiring creators i think there's a lot of inspiration out there already less about inspiring but more is like we're gonna post this video we're going to use this as lead gen for our business and we're going to grow this business because I, I think you're, you're, you're onto something that is probably going to be 10 times bigger two years from now. And okay. so you're in a really good position now where it's like, let's say you're doing my stuff. You know how much of a pain in the ass it is to like switch who you're working with and like onto someone like those are sort of relationships that you don't like breaking. And it's there's like that that stickiness, the convenience of just mm -hmm. like, hey, if someone's doing a good job. And they're prompt and they're 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 getting better at their own craft like you want to work with that person so let i'd say yeah let me ask you how come you don't use like jelly smack for example laziness i don't know uh, just well because they yeah. kind of like run it entirely for yeah too um i guess for me it's just it's not really been a priority so for for and they've they've never taken the initiative to be like hey we want to do this for you mm -hmm. and maybe they have i just didn't see it everyone that's that's worked with me has taken some sort of initiative to say like hey um i want to do this for you right, let right. me know what you think mm -hmm. i i've never really gone out of my way to to like contact anybody i guess everyone's always contacted me and i like that sure yeah sure. let me ask you a personal finance question like for me personally so um, my question is, when do you think I can afford a house in Southern California? Um, you can kind of break down my finance, Dave Ramsey style. How much you make? So um, last month we did in total uh, $18,300. So that's 17 from the client side and uh, 1300 from YouTube shorts. Got it. 
Is that personally to you or how much goes to you? Um, pr- the profit in that minus 4,600. And that's yours. That's the profit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what is that? So how much are you like? Yeah. 18, I'm just like, how much do you personally make every month? We'll do 15K. 15,000 a month yeah. for how long? How long have you been doing that? Um, this is the first month, last month we did. We actually would have been at, um, this month we actually would have been at 22, but unfortunately Spencer's account got panned. But, uh, so it's pretty much like 15 K. Uh, we could two years do that for two years, uh, and then save up 20%. I mean, you could buy a house in Los Angeles. I mean, it just depends where you want to live. You're not going to live in, probably not going to live in like Venice, Santa Monica, Marine Del Rey. I live by the Grove right now. Yeah. I mean, if it were me, I wouldn't buy in Los Angeles. Like, it, I wouldn't. Wasn't your whole yeah. life in L.A., though? Like, yeah. And you just left Yeah, it? it's so much better elsewhere. I wouldn't buy. Like, if, if you think of how much money you're going to spend um, buying a house, upkeep, property tax, that you can't even, de- like, the, the salt cap is $10,000. What is the salt cap? So, you don't have salt cap. So, it's a state and local tax deduction. Okay. Which says okay. that you could only deduct ten thousand dollars up to a max of state and local property taxes. Well, guess what? California state income tax is like you know ten percent, almost a like it's very quick to get up to that ten percent category in California. Well, if you're paying more than ten thousand dollars a year in property tax and state income tax, well, sorry, that's not deductible on a federal level. So, so like you wouldn't buy an, an no. I mean, I I'm a hypocrite for saying that because I did, but well, it was but but before early. I left. Yeah, yeah. No, I would not buy again. Um, I would say it would take a lot. The only the only properties that ever consider buying are properties that to me would be sentimental. Like if a childhood home came up for sale, um, I would probably buy it just to be, just to come full circle and feel like, oh wow, that. But that's a personal thing. It's nothing to do with money. Um, you, you you if you bought a property and tried to rent it out right now, the prices are so high. Like you lose money. It's cheaper for you in Los Angeles to be a renter. Unless you knew that you were going to be living in that house for probably 30 years. Like if you knew this is the house I want to live in and I'm happy here, I'm never going to leave, then you could buy. But it's going to take, I'm, I'm just roughing numbers here, probably going to take you 10 to 15 years to get to the point of breaking even in terms of like what you would have spent on rent. Because Los Angeles is also very strict on rent control. So you as a tenant find a good location in yeah, an old building. We did. We did. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, why do you? We pay thirteen hundred a month. Yeah. So here's the thing, though. But then, rent control incentivizes a lot of tenants not to leave because you're paying thirteen hundred dollars a month. You want to rent something else? You'll have to pay way more than that. So you're not going to leave. That creates a housing shortage that just continues getting worse. That drives up the prices on on newer units that come on the market. Mm-hmm. Like if you knew that you were free to move at any time, uh, there would be much more turnover in the housing market. But there's not. And I don't think rent control is going to turn anytime soon. You're cheaper. It's cheaper to rent mm-hmm. as long as possible. And why do you want to live in Los Angeles? I grew up in Riverside. Okay. So like, I don't know. My whole life is there. My parents, they just bought a house in Lompoc. I don't know where that is. It, by Santa Barbara. Okay. Yeah. So they're not even Los Angeles anymore. So like, what's yeah. the, the, there's no benefit in you living in, in by the Grove if they're in Santa Barbara. That's two and a half hours anyway, if you want to drive yeah, it. My rationale for, so I moved from Riverside to LA. My rationale for that was because I'm like in the creator economy, being in LA kind of like helps that. But what's funny is like all of my clients are like all over the place. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't yeah. matter. I thought the same thing as you because we were doing the podcast. And I was like, oh, you know, I ran in. So I met Colin Samir at a coffee shop in Santa Monica Venice, down Main yeah. Street. And we were just walking down the street. We saw them. And I'm like, 
yo, that's really cool. Samir, that's uh, the, right. And he's like, Graham is like, yeah. That's so, <laughs> and so like I met him through there. That never would have happened in Vegas. So I, I thought there was an opportunity cost of not having those interactions. There's a lot of people in Los Angeles too. But at the end of the day, it's like everyone's here too. Like I, I would say, I don't think I missed out on anything by not being there. I'm sure there are some opportunities that would have been easier. But if you want to go to L.A., you, yeah. if you could be in L.A. in four hours if you drove right now. Right. Like, right. so you could be there. If someone says, well, calls you up. like 100 bucks. Yeah. Like 45 minutes. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. like, if someone calls you up right now and says, hey, you want to grab dinner with us at, we're going to go to, I don't know what, what the nightclub is there. Um, Javier's. Javier. Yeah. You're going to be at Javier's at 8 p.m. It's 3.30. You could get ready and just be down there. So it's not that big right. of a deal. Right. You had mentioned that like you used to get in the clubs with like Jason Oppenheim mm -hmm. and stuff, but you didn't like that. No, I hated the club. You don't like having like your table and like no, like, being, I like, exclusive. No, like, if we didn't have that, I wouldn't even go. Like right, right. I, I only went because I knew there, that there was a table that there were people that I was there with, and I wouldn't. I like I hate dancing. I hate loud music. Well, I like loud music when I'm listening to it myself. <laughs> I hate crowds. I hate bumping into people. Um. I just, I've never been into it. I just, I have a dislike for that sort of stuff. Like I have more fun just being kind of like just on my own, yeah, doing yeah. my thing. Uh, we're just with a few close friends and that like, I, I, I've always felt like I had to drink there to have a good time because I didn't yeah. like it. Like I, yeah, I kind of do. And I hate, like I like being able to talk to people and when there's loud music, it's either like you have to yell, I'm not going to have a conversation in there <laughs> right, or you just right. sit there awkwardly. And then to have a good time, I felt like I had to drink. And I hated, like, I'm never a fan of really, like, drinking because then I just, I felt bad the next day. Have you ever gotten, like, drunk, full, like, full drunk? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, like, uh, you know, an angel <laughs> by any means. But, uh, but, yeah, I stopped drinking almost entirely, like, three, four years ago. Wait, are you like, serious? Three years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll have it. I'll have a drink every now and then. But it's so got to. you don't go out here in Vegas, though? If I do, I just don't drink. Wow. Yeah. And it, I feel amazing. I feel so much really? better. Yeah. You don't feel like the social pressure to have to drink while you're out there? No. Because the thing is, the opportunity cost of me drinking is so large. No, it's Like, not. it is. No, you, the next day you could do your regular day. I don't. I, it throws me off. If I have one drink, do you think I'm at 100% the next day? I, I actually, do you, you think I, you think I'm going to operate 100% the next day if yeah. I don't get a perfect night of you, sleep? Do you not think that I might be at 95% capacity, 90%? Yes. Alcohol affects your sleep. 100%. You do not get, you do not get the best night of sleep. Well, hold on though, because you'd be sleeping like six hours anyways. You don't get a deep night of sleep when you drink. It throws off your sleep schedule. I feel drowsy. I feel tired. I'm, I, I lose that edge. And if it affects one day, you add up how much I make in okay, one day. Okay. That drink cost me one day. Right. If I'm if I'm not able to be at a hundred percent right now, that drink is a very expensive drink. It's not one worth drink. it. One drink. Wow. Yeah, it throws me off. Two drinks, I messed up for like a weekend. I kid you not. I have ter I have no tolerance for any yeah. okay. alcohol at all. Yeah, yeah. So with me, I could I could have a drink and the next day I'll be almost like more productive. How, yeah, how old how old are you though? I'm twenty four. That's why. Oh, okay. Yeah, try being thirty two. So like for me, I used to be like that. I used to be like have a drink or two or three or whatever, okay. wake up and like, okay, maybe I'm just tired in the morning, but by noon I'm fine. Every year it just got worse and worse and worse. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, feel tired until 1 p.m. 
2 p.m., 3 p.m., 4. It just keeps extending, and then yeah. it's like... Yeah, I can't really the, that, yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you ever done a psychedelic drug, Graham no. Seven? No. No? No. Would you ever do a psychedelic drug? No. I have no desire. No shrooms? No. <laughs> I have zero desire. I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's... I just... I enjoy such like simple. I just like yeah. working and drinking coffee. I mean, so, like that—that's perfect for yeah. me. Like, like, hey, a, a treat for me would be like putting extra hazelnut creamer in the coffee. Like, yeah. I've never done stuff. a psychedelic either, yeah. but shrooms for some reason really piques my interest. Like, there's always the stories of people taking shrooms, and it like takes you down a path that you discover something else about yourself on the on the other route. And I don't know. That's always seemed interesting. Maybe, but how many people take shrooms and don't invent the iPhone? I mean, like, you got to think, too. It's like that. The, I think there's something already there that, you know, because that, that, yeah, we don't have to name them, but there are successful people in your life who have probably told you that, like, shrooms helped, right? No. Seriously? Seriously. Oh, what the heck? Yeah, I've never, I've never had a person come to me like, yo, you did shroom, man. You come up with the best video ideas. No, it's just like no? hard work, dedication, focus, Spencer, passion. You've heard people like say like shrooms helps them get successful, right? A lot of ways, yeah. Yeah. Around very interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, listen, I've never heard of it. your mind is what it does. So like it will open you to new ideas. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's right for everyone. Yeah, yeah. I I've never heard of it, but again, that's just my own experience. Um, yeah. So I I don't know if I could even comment on that because I I don't know the other side of things, and so I'm coming at it from someone's like, no in, no interest, no desire. Um, I don't see the point, but that's not to say that hey, you know what? In the future, that yeah. could change. Um, but for me, I just I don't. Sp- Spencer, you want to just hop in here? We could just start ours. Yeah, you could cool. you could like co. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we may as well. Um, you know what? Actually, well, you want to switch? Yeah, okay. if Spencer's the subject to this, we may as well. It very much alters your sleep, by the way. Alcohol has been very yeah. proven. What? It fucks with yeah. You aren't able to yeah. produce as much melatonin. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Social Media Money Podcast. I unfortunately didn't shoot an outro during the interview with Graham because me and Spencer Cornelia got right into it with our interview, which the podcast with Spencer is coming out next week and Graham is actually co-hosting that episode. So be sure to stick around for that. If you're new here, hi, my name is Josh. I'm the founder of Social Media Money LLC. Our goal is to help inspire you to become a creator yourself and highlight the growing opportunities found within the creator economy. If you too love this space, be sure to subscribe. Thanks so much again, and until next time.